Hello and welcome to Books on the Go, a podcast where we talk about our book of the week. I'm Anna Bailey Karras and I'm here with a special guest today, Sean Mooney. Hi, Sean. Well, hello, Anna. How lovely to be back. It's lovely to have you. Today we have a special episode where it's Sean and Anna's book club. And this was your idea, Sean, which I loved, which was that we would each recommend a book to each other that the other hadn't read. And we had our lead up episode a few weeks ago and we selected the books. And just a reminder, our books were Sarah Novich, True Biz and YN by Esther Yee, which Sean was reading. So let's kick off and I'll start off with True Biz by Sarah Novich, which Sean recommended. Sarah Novich also wrote Girl at War. She's a Croatian-American author. Um, She's also deaf and Girl at War was about the the war in Croatia and Serbia. Really, really good book. I read for book club a few years ago and that was drawn from her, not her own experience, but certainly her family members or people that they she knew. So a very personal story um, and really eye-opening. And this is in a similar vein, but completely different subject matter. It's about Charlie, who's a student at a deaf school. Well, she's initially not at the deaf school, is she? She she moves there, but she's a deaf student um, who's had a cochlear implant, uh, which has malfunctioned and caused her a lot of pain in addition to um, communication issues because she hasn't learned sign language. She's been trying to understand through learning to hear with the implant. She moves to a deaf school. We also have Austin, who's a student at the deaf school, but uh, uh, used to speaking in sign language and has come from a deaf family. I think you described them as deaf royalty, Sean, when you That's were right. um, introducing the book. And February, the the principal, oh, I was about to say headmaster, I don't know why, um, the principal of the deaf school, who is multilingual in that she's a child of deaf parents is it's a coder child of deaf adults um but she can hear as well but she also signs um fluently and so really different interesting perspectives so i really enjoyed this sean and thank you for the lovely recommendation and it was also a wreath with Reese Witherspoon book club pick and has had really glowing reviews. Um, And I've now gone down this whole rabbit hole. There were so many things I liked about it, but one of them was that it really, as you had mentioned as well, I think really made me think and see things differently and understand a bit more about the experience of being deaf and some of the assumptions that we make as hearing people about that and that it it is a cultural trait. It's a, you know, that sign language is another language and something that we can all use to communicate, not as a sort of an alternative, just filling in the gaps sort of thing, but a really beautiful, actually, way of communicating. And I loved how she incorporated the dialogue in the book. That was one of the things, again, that you'd mentioned. And until you read it, you can't perhaps imagine how you'd have all this dialogue with deaf characters. And it works really, she does it so sensitively because you have these little gaps on the page and it's you immediately feel like you can 
A, you can understand what they're saying. Well, she tells you what they're saying, but you understand how they're communicating and B, you get a sense of the quietness of two deaf people communicating, as in the quietness in sound terms, obviously, but really beautifully done. I've gone down a whole rabbit hole. So it got me really thinking about um, the experience of being deaf and then there's a lot covered in this book because A, you have the different perspectives and B, there are quite a few issues that arise. And one of them is the issue of these cochlear implants and the problems that they have had for some children. And also the issue that they are implanted in very young children who obviously can't consent. Again, something I had not really thought of before, but it got me researching a little bit. And of course, there were these problems in real life. And there was, at least in America, Advanced Bionics learned about some of the problems in 2003, I believe it was, and they kept selling them until 2006 when they were advised to fix their business and do something about it, or at least tell people about it. So that made me think about House of Pain, the book about the Sackler family and the opioids and the um, OxyContin um, misinformation that Patrick Radden Keefe wrote about and others have written about, just the in terms of the pharmaceutical industry and the medical industry and, and the regulation or lack of or poor regulation or lack of regulation. And this one, of course, really touches people because we're dealing with very small children and it's very emotive. But I love the New York Times review described the book as radiantly outraged, which I thought was a beautiful. Ooh, lovely phrase. A lovely phrase, which does, it, it really captures the tone of the book. There is outrage in the book. And part of how she brings that out is Charlie rebelling with her coat, some of the other students. And Sean, I thought they were quite naughty and I was quite shocked at times. But then I thought, well, you would be rebellious if you were having these experiences. And also it made it feel very authentic because I felt as if that it just rang true to me that they weren't just having a little cigarette outside the school or something. They were, yes. Charlie was Charlie, out about. Charlie, who's arguably one of the main the main characters, she's she's rebellious and uh, she's naughty, and I I adored her, and she got mixed up with this kind of anar- sexy anarchist rocker guy, and he didn't know anything about deaf culture or politics, but he was an anarchist, and and it all the plot ensues, and it's I thought really well integrated into the story in a way that uh, really resonates throughout. Yeah, she she pulled that together really well. So he became one of my favourites as well. So I got really deeply into that. And then this morning, I've just been going down a rabbit hole because another thread that runs through True Biz is the impending or threatened closure of the deaf school that Charlie has now moved to. And February has to deal with this as the principal. And what's happened recently, I don't know if you're aware, Sean, but you're not, well, you may not be, but in Australia, we've had a disability royal commission and Mm. they've issued their report quite recently in the last month or two. And the commissioners themselves, this is interesting, the commissioners themselves were divided 3-3 on the issue of special schools and whether to continue funding them or try to find another solution. And it's a very complex topic, which we can't 
go too much into, but this book really, really addresses it from a, a deaf student's point of view. So I thought it was valuable in that regard. But the Disability Royalty Royal Commission in a divided opinion, have recommended in Australia that they close the special schools by 2051 and channel the funding into having more inclusive mainstream schools. So immediately my antenna were up thinking, no, this is a disaster and so on, as you would if you were reading Charlie's story. And indeed, some parents in special of children in special schools have have reacted that way. And and in of course, three of the commissioners felt that way. It's a really tricky one because on the one hand, there's the importance of uh, students finding their tribe and having a, a foundation where they can be confident and build their networks and learn in a so-called safe space or a space where they've got like-minded people and the right sort of teaching, of course, and then perhaps go out into the world where it will be a bit less sheltered, but with that solid foundation. That's how I would view it, having read this book. And, you know, school's hard enough without having to be marginalised and deal with all the sort of things Charlie did in her mainstream school. But there's the other side is that it's rare then that while you're funding the special schools that you'd have, say, a deaf student at a mainstream school because they have this option to have more targeted education. Or if you do have deaf students at a mainstream school, are they then, you know, excluded in that the school's not geared up for it and they're being excluded? That's the, I suppose, a concern. What the commission has recommended is that they improve the education system, improve teacher training and have a shift in attitudes and a shift in resources. And one of the commissioners said, what we have at the moment is a resourced special school system. And we have a mainstream system that tends to think kids with disabilities belong over there. So they're trying to see if they can shift that attitude and they want to put the resources together so they get more inclusive mainstream schools. Now, I'm perhaps sceptical about whether that, I I think that's admirable as an intention. I'm sceptical about the reality of whether putting everything in one pot is going to be the best solution for those students. They do think from their research that a disabled student will do better on average if they are in an inclusive mainstream school and that certainly students in those schools are less likely to be prejudicial if they've been more exposed to being friends with or going to school with disabled students. But I'm still a bit sceptical about just the the wholesaleness of that. My question is, and maybe you don't know, but uh, how many of the uh, commission members were deaf? I don't know the answer to that, but three, two of the six were disabled and they were two of the three who recommended the closure of the special schools. But I think with that hope that what you're doing is resourcing mainstream schools to be better able to include disabled students so that you don't have that segregation where they think, well, we don't need to worry about that because they can go to this other school. Perhaps ideally you'd have both. So you'd have the option. 
Um, and another one of the schools said what they do is you have, in a way, perhaps the best of both worlds where you have the special school, but they do activities and have relationships with a mainstream school so that, you know, there's integration from time to time. So I love the fact that this was such a rabbit hole kind of experience for you because it very much was for me. And yeah. this novel is very opinionated. It definitely, it's not a neutral, it's not neutral on any of these issues. It's very, and I almost use the word, seems out of place, but I would almost like to use the word partisan. It mm. comes down very, very firmly on one side of all of these issues. And I think that's one of its strengths because it invites the reader um, in and you're realizing that, oh boy, there must be another side to this issue and I really want to find out about it. And, that, and that's great. That's, that's the sign of a good novel. I know some, I have connections, relationships with other deaf writers and one of whom doesn't really like this novel because she finds it too didactic and she thought um, it was actually, it wasn't a book for deaf readers. It was a book for, for non-deaf readers. And she didn't like it for that reason either. But one of the rabbit holes I went down was I discovered, finally started to read a local deaf author. His name is Adam Pottle. And I read his memoir about writing and deafness, which is called Voice. Then just about a week ago, went to a book launch for his new novel, um, which is called Apparitions, which is a deaf horror novel. Wow! And he he was asked who some of his uh, who he would recommend and other disabled and particularly deaf authors. And Sarah Novich was at the top of his list. So yeah, there are different perspectives, and that's the that's the reading journey that this novel kind of opens up for for us if we take it. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was really well done. Certainly for me as a, you know, average um, hearing person reader, it was a, just a really good read as well. So. Just a really good read. And in, in yeah. so many ways, if you just when you start to describe how the structure and the the insertion of all those handouts and stuff, it sounds like, oh, it must be really didactic. Well, it is, but not in a bad way. no. It really no. was just a. It is. A page I mean, it is a point of view because the character. Yeah. I don't know about Sarah's history, but the character has had this really painful experience of a malfunctioning implant. So that would be a different point of view to someone who either hasn't had an implant or has had an implant and it's just worked wonders and they've been happy with it. So they're you know various, of course, experiences as with anything, but. It, it at least makes you think about that. So, no, really good. And how did you get on with Y-N, Esther Yee? Y-N by Esther Yee. I just finished it not 10 minutes ago, but maybe about an hour and a half ago. Well, I really enjoyed it. It's not a Sean book, but I couldn't put it down. Right. So I don't know what that says. Uh, That's again, interesting. Maybe what does that mean? So you didn't bail, though. I didn't bail and I didn't. I'll, I'll tell you what. I almost bailed in the first chapter because... I wasn't sure about some kind of clunky phrases. Um, then I kind of got over that and just realized this is just a style of writing that that's going to take some getting used to. And I never really felt that way about anything else in the book. But in the first chapter, it's like, what, what, why? Befoul, the, the verb befoul is in there. It's like, and used <laughs> unironically. It's like, really? She she is a unique, she does have a unique writing style. And I would also like to recommend, and maybe you might put this in the show notes, there's an episode of a, booktubers podcast his name is Jalen and his channel is called bar in the bookcase and he interviewed Esther Yee about this novel and I just listened to that about 
30 oh. minutes ago. And uh, she talks about her writing style as being unpolished, intentionally unpolished. And I would agree with that. Oh. And you know me, I'm a I'm a big literary snob and she's very much a literary writer. I think we can both we can agree on that. But but there's something about her writing style that comes across in certain places, at least as uh, really. But no, I got used to it and I ended up really enjoying it. The, the writing style. The story is wacky beyond belief. Well, the word is the less pejorative adjective would be it's surreal. Yeah. It's a very surreal story. And I, that's the part that's not for me. Yeah, it is very surreal. And it, But I'm not, as much as I'd love to use the word fangirl, I'm not much of a fan of pop stars or movie stars. I can think of different parts of my life where I was more into that kind of thing. And I related to so much of this, even with my limited experience of getting caught up in fangirling for, for, for superstars or celebrities. Like one of the things that I identified the most with this unnamed narrator, she, we, we meet her at the beginning of the novel. She's working for a, she's a copywriter at a, what is it? A canned artichoke factory in yeah. Berlin is it artichoke or something. And she, so it's kind of a dead end job and she's got a boyfriend that's, she doesn't seem to really care about and she, her roommate invites her she has an extra ticket for this k-pop group and she's not the slight our narrator protagonist is not the slightest bit interested in this group or in k-pop but she goes and she just falls gets immediately obsessed with one of the the band members whose name is moon and and then plot ensues and it gets as you get especially in the final third but really from the very first chapter there's a certain surreal quality about how the story uh, wins its way to the conclusion. So the the point where I really related to it, and I'm going to use a, a nerdy example of me fangirling as a young kid and still today, um, leaving aside the politics of it, I have all been uh, fascinated by the British royal family. And I remember when Chuck and Die got married in whatever year that was, 1982, suddenly everybody in the world became a British royal fan. And I didn't feel so special anymore. And I kind of resented that and I just kind of let it go for 10 or 15 years because it became pedestrian. Oh, so and there's you, a section you were in this a fan, book. you were like an original fan. I was an original fan. Wedding. I remember when I was <laughs> 11 years old, I wrote a 10 page essay and photocopied it for all my family members about the life of Queen Victoria. I mean, hello. That's fantastic. Was anyone surprised that I grew up to be queen? <laughs> That is brilliant. Me. There's a part in this novel where she is really resentful when she sees how many fans, the other fans there are in the world. And she thinks, no, my my love for Moon is special. It's unique. It's not like all these other people. And so there's many things like that that were really, I thought, quite insightful. As well as being a very entertaining read, there was things about it that were humorous. And um, I would say erotic. Her imagination is just absolutely incredible. And I mean, I kept reading to the very end. So, well, it wasn't a Sean book. It was a book that I found a real eye opener. And uh, I'm, I'm, uh, now I'm fangirling for Esther Yee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Is that's it good. Is it, well, it's Yee, right? Or Yee. Yee. Goodness, I said it right. I, I think I felt a bit the same as you. It wasn't a, necessarily a me book that I was completely loving every minute, except that I did. I was compelled to keep reading, and I did keep thinking about it. So I think there are some elements of it that are so specific, and obviously some that are relatable. Um, but 
that just really stick in your mind. And the story, there's something original about it, I think, something fresh about it. Very much so. Uh, she talks a lot about writing and reading, but I would say especially writing because the, the title comes from this whole fan fiction thing where fans will write fan fiction and instead of putting a protagonist's name, they put YN, which is your name. That ends up being one strand of the narrative that, that doesn't fit really neatly with the other thrust of the story, which is about our protagonist's journey because she's one of the authors of the fan fiction but also there are other characters who are writing fan fiction and without giving away anything about the ending there does come a moment of reckoning where some fan fiction is presented to the to the k-pop star yeah and and that's quite a major turn in the story and I just thought all of that was just added layers and layers to my experience as a reader and in fact I know that I if I reread the book, I'd get a whole bunch more. I mean, it would repay a reread. I think it would. And it does yeah. add to that surreal nature because part of it is fiction, fiction, as in her fiction, and it starts to merge. And, you well, you get the sense that it's starting to merge in her in her mind, at least, what's real and what's not, and which does ring true for those younger, you know, a younger protagonist like that who's very much everything's heightened, all her emotions are heightened. But the And the fandom, what you were saying about your fandom being special and the experience, she, she evokes that in the book as well. It just made me think of the recent hullabaloo over the Taylor Swift concert tickets. And my uh -huh. daughter's friend was saying, my daughter and her friend are orig not original fans. They're too young to be original fans from when Taylor was 16 and doing her country and Western, but they're long time, very passionate fans. And some, someone in this girl's, my daughter's friend's class was sort of saying, oh, I don't really know the songs, but I'm just keen to go. I'm just, you know, I'm just so glad I got a ticket. I just want to go to the concert <laughs> and just had no idea about any of the albums and this poor girl who's a long-time passionate fan was just, you know, who couldn't Horrified. get a ticket and I think she has now. You know, it was infuriating. It was absolutely infuriating. So, yeah, the emotions are real. Well, speaking of the emotions being real, um, the conversation that Jalen has with Esther Yee, she starts out by saying, you know, I don't really get all this. All the reviews are talking about fandom and what's this? There's a trendy parasocial relationships. And she said, you know, I, I didn't really have that in my mind as I wrote the story. To me, it was just a basic love story without, in her mind, he didn't have an emphasis on this fact that it was a fandom, stardom, celebrity, parasocial. He didn't have any of that in her mind. It just, it, that's how the story came out. Well, I think most people kind of read it that way. It sounds like both you and I did. I certainly yeah. did. But I love oh, how happened. her character, for her character, it was just a real love story. And I think that's what makes it feel quite real, doesn't it? Yeah. I've been yeah. thinking about that one for a while. Yeah. Oh, well, and also, Sean, it was nice and short. So it was at least. It was. If it, if it was a bit unpolished or, you know, the style was sometimes a bit challenging, it's, it's not too much of a, too many pages to, to keep going with. So. I really enjoyed it. I'm so glad that you oh, recommended good. it. Oh, very good. Well, we'll have to do this again. I'm nearly finished my 
not nearly finished in time since, but I'm down to the last maybe 10 books of my TBR shelf. Wow. Yeah. What a concept. In in which, and after that, it's going to be book binging. It'll be buying up anything and everything. So I'll be ready for some recommendations. That's awesome. Yeah. And what are I, you reading uh, next? Gives me a chance to plug a book that um, I'm looking forward to reading. Maybe not next, but soon, because it's uh, by an author who lives in your town and who you have been on my channel with. Do you remember James Morrison? From the New Year's Eve. This is his debut novella. It's called Gibson, uh, not Gibson's, it's called Gibbons, or One Bloody Thing After Another. And it was just published a few weeks ago, and I hosted um, the uh, online book launch. It's The video is going to go up on my channel in the next day or two. I'll make sure you get the link. Fantastic. Um, and it, it ends with... Uh, it's described on the back as the discontinuous narrative of an Australian family in short stories including glass eyes, false mermaids, inadvertent death, nuclear weapons, and the accidental destruction of the Sydney Opera House. Oh, my goodness. That's a, so, it's a the cover, for those who are listening, has the Sydney Opera House in flames. It does, and, and uh, James has designed all the artwork as well. Wow. Including, yeah, it's full of illustrations. I believe his daughter did some of them too. And uh, yeah, it sounds just amazing. And uh, yeah, I want to make sure you knew about it. Yes. I'm reading Small Worlds by Caleb Azuma Nelson, who wrote oh. Open Water. Did you read Open Water? I haven't read either one of them. Very much want to. So um, it's about a Ghanaian English young man. He's a 18, I think. He's quite young. So literally finishing school and going to university and looking for his place in the world. So it's quite interior. It might even be too interior for me, but we'll see. We'll see. It's I had beautiful. A his writing book. is really beautiful and really beautiful. poetic. You know, you want to love it because he's it's very thoughtful and he, he compassionate. He's got a lot of a lot of compassion for his characters. So you really want to love it, but also I like something to happen. <laughs> I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm so impatient. But there we are. We'll see. I'm very curious to check out his stuff. I'd love yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts if you read. I'm just going to quickly wave, wave this at you because I can't remember. Well, did you talk about this on a podcast? Um, Leopoldstadt by Tom Stoppard. Yes. And and because of that, I, I couldn't remember if it was in our chat or whether it was on your podcast, but I, I got the a library copy and I'm just loving it. Oh, good. It's oh, a page sure. turner. This is by Tom Stoppard, his latest play from a couple of years ago, Leopoldstadt. And it's just, it's about uh, Jewish uh, characters in Vienna around 1899. I mean, it's it's a very relevant for what's going on in the world today. And it's how they deal with anti-Semitism in, in, in Austrian society at that time. Half of them have, have converted to Christianity just to fit in with their society. And so it opens with a uh, putting up a Christmas tree. Yeah. yeah it's just, just fascinating. And it's there's scandal and sex and, oh, my God, it's wonderful. It's quite witty, isn't it? He's very witty. And then they... It, Stays with the family through time, so you you have to face some some dark times okay. with them. I, I can I can only imagine. So thank you for for that recommendation can, as well, Anna. I want you to let me know when you have finished it. I shall. Yes. 
Good, 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 good. I can't wait. Well, let's chat soon, Sean. Well, we will be in touch and Sean and I will be back on my channel and Sean's channel or either or or both. With We've got a short novel coming up from Mexico and then we've got some others that Sean's lining up for Zooming In, which will be fantastic. So stay tuned for that. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us at Books on the Go at uh, on Facebook and on uh, email us, Books on the Go podcast at gmail.com. And I'm on Instagram at A Bailey Karras. And Sean, where can people find you? Probably the best place to go is to my YouTube channel, which is Sean the Book Maniac. And then all of the other contact information is in the show notes for every episode. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, we will see you soon. Bye for now. Bye.